We're beginning a new sermon series on the subject of, uh, well, it's called Grand Designs, and on the subject of identity. And today, particularly, my, my job is to talk to us about what it means for identity to be as, as children of God. But I, I wonder whether the 21st century is, is a, a time when many people are in identity crisis. And it strikes me as I kind of like kind of survey kind of human history. There were times when in, in the UK and in Britain, your identity was fairly easy to acknowledge because life was very ordered and you knew your place in it. You know, we, we had a more of a corporate sense of identity than an, an individual one. And, you know, if you're born into a certain kind of, you know, if, you, if you're born as a serf, you'd be a serf and on the land. And it was your land, it was your village, it was your place. And, and if you're, you know... Um, more aristocratic. Well, you, you knew who you were. You knew who your family was. There was a whole lot of stuff around um, a lack of social mobility and, and some, some kind of real corporate sense of this is who we are as a, as a people. And, and that's still true in, in parts of the world where tribe and, 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 and nationhood count for a lot. But um, over the centuries, we had the, uh, the growth of the Enlightenment and, um, and, and, and philosophers like beginning with Descartes and others, helping us to think about who I am, the I think, therefore I am, the, my individuality within this kind of corporate humanity. And um, there's that, 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 that sense, particularly around um, you know, the, the, the late um, part of the 18th century, people beginning to explore new ways of, of discovering themselves and rebelling perhaps against some of those societal norms and conformities. And that, that movement has continued right up to today, where for many people, identity now is, is a, a very individual thing. And we've, we've lost so much social cohesion. We, we are now a multicultural world, a multicultural society. I mean, Britain was homogeneously largely white until um, really the Second World War. And, and, and now, though we're still 85% white majority, it was much more of a multicultural world than we used to be. And, of course, all this is fed through not just around um, ethnicity, but also we, we're very mobile, aren't we, around the nation, even around the world. And our sense of dislocation from who we are, where so many of the kind of um, cohesion factors around society being shaken, families being shaken, um, faith has been shaken. People don't have that kind of cultural norms to be to be to grow up into. And so they're asking all kinds of questions and exploring some of the internal anxieties and and, and questions and the wonder who I am. And, and so much of that is expressed in our and our current issues around you know gender identity and a whole lot of stuff there that goes on as people searching, well who am I? And 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 how do I define myself in the light of what other people say about me? What I say about myself, my truth, in that kind of postmodern way. This is who I am. So lots to think about, really. And, um, but I think this, this, the, the quest for identity and identity formation, for most of us, goes right back to our experience of our, our birth family and the way that we're, 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 we're nurtured and, and known and loved. And... Um, it still feels very live for me, just because my kids keep having babies. And, uh, and you look at um, what happens when a baby is born into a family. Now, I want to say, first of all, when we talk about parenting, parents are some of the people that can feel incredibly guilty, particularly if they've got a newborn. 
They could feel panicked and desperate. And how, how, how am I, I going to be a good enough parent? And I want to say that the idea of a good enough parent is, is okay. I've got five children. I think I was a good enough parent. Uh, my son Ben was here at our nine o'clock service. And I kind of said, well, Ben, how old are you? He said, eight out of ten, Dad. Eight out of ten. So good enough, but not perfect. And uh, I think we're not perfect as parents. But it feels to me that when a baby is born into a family, they are looking for unconditional love from their parents. They've kind of got this instinct that if I cry, someone's going to do something about it. And therefore they cry a lot. Have you noticed that? You know, they, if, they, if they're hungry, if they're uncomfortable, they just cry. And the, the reason they do that is I've got these feelings and I want to make those feelings known to those people who should be nurturing me. And it, it feels to me as, I, as I've, just as a pastor and, and talking with hundreds and thousands of people probably over, the, over their lives, is that there seems to be something very primal in, in the human condition, which means that we kind of expect some unconditional love and acceptance if we're born into a family, that we expect to be wanted, loved and nurtured. And we behave like that. And of course, our behavior doesn't always yield, um, it doesn't always conform to, um, to what's there. And though it's amazing how children you know, evoke love from their parents, I mean, again, thinking about my, my son Perrin and, and his wife Emily, they've just had a little baby um, born to them. And uh, it's called Louis Jago. And I think that they just turned their lives upside down. Their sleep is completely dependent on, on his sleep. You know, their obsession is, is he going to recover his birth weight? And, 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 um, and everything is orientated around him. He's the least powerful person in the family, but he's the one who is dominating everything that happens. And, and actually, they're crazy about him. I mean, I like him too, actually. I've been, I've been dandling him. You know, finger in the mouth. But crazy about him. And, and, and that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Now, that's not automatic. Sometimes, for all kinds of reasons, parents don't bond with children. At our eight o'clock service today, uh, Ash, who was preaching, and it was absolutely brilliant, and it was recorded, so I really recommend it. She was preaching on the subject. She was talking about her own life journey when, as a you know, as a two-year-old, her mum fled their dad, fled domestic violence, you know, brought up in, in women's refugees, not knowing her dad at all. And finding a father absence, a father wound, which meant, as a young person, taking risks finding really inappropriate ways of trying to fill that gap. And, and then as a 37-year-old, meeting her dad for the first time and feeling a family likeness and how he passed away a year later. And, and that, again, left a hole in her life, which she'd had as a young person. And then how that led her to find faith in Jesus, coming to Alpha Course, encountering the Holy Spirit, encountering the love of the Father. It's a great um, earthed, earthed in a story, the Christian message. And it's great to earth the Christian message in our stories, isn't it? The Bible's full of people doing that, St. Paul. But anyway, people lose or parenting unconditional love isn't always available to children, either because of trauma, tragedy, loss, maybe just some psychological, whatever, malfunction. And... And what happens if we don't have unconditional love and acceptance in our lives? It seems to me that um, 
There's a whole way that, that people can react to the birth family. It could be that rage is there if I've not had that met. It could be depression is there. It could be that there's, there's a rebellion or maybe there's a desire to perform and to conform. There's, there's a whole lot of stuff that can actually end up as, as burdens and pressures of life if we don't know what it means to be truly loved and accepted. When I think about my own family of origin, um, I'm confident, both theoretically and experientially, that I experienced a massive dose of unconditional love and acceptance. And uh, that for me, I didn't have to work to win my parents' approval. For some reason, it was there. I, I, I know my, I remember hearing my dad talk about his delight when he had a son born into the house. You know, it's a boy, it's a boy, you know, r- real delight. And, and both of my parents just kind of, um, it's a very secure and loving home to grow up in. More than that, it was also a very secure culture to grow up in. My, my parents were both work, worked for a Methodist church and, and were, were kind of in Christian ministry. And the cultural bedrock of my life was church family and that was also a place of coherence and uh, affection and and so it meant that for me doing life there was a kind of something put into me as a young person very foundationally of I'm okay you know I'm not perfect but I'm okay I'm not I don't have to perform to, to feel that somehow at a base level feeling loved and Along with that journey was my growing understanding that the God that my mum and dad believed in and served and worshipped was actually my God too, my father. And through a series of milestones growing up in that family, discovering that God was my father and that Jesus had died for me and that, uh, that um, I, I was kind of loved and paid for. And all of that, Contrast for me, again, with, with my life experience of being married to somebody who, who lost their mum as a young person, whose mum died and whose dad was not very close or appropriate and not really a good enough father. And, and feeling some of the, the woundedness of that in someone and, and how in, in faith we work those kind of things out. We pray into those things. But we do that, whatever our cultural or life experience on the basis that fundamental to being a Christian is the reality that God is our Father and that the God who is our Father is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the revelation that Jesus brings to us is that God is our Father and actually he's the best Father that you could possibly know or imagine. Every, every Father that, that there is, is is somehow just a pale shadow of, of that amazing father. And so much of Jesus' teaching and his descriptors of, of God, a father. And of course, we, we see in his own experience what it means to know that unconditional love and acceptance, that what psychologists talk as a sense of security and significance, a helpful, vital for human thriving, security and significance. This is, you know, I'm loved, I'm accepted. Sort of love and purpose, those things in my life, they, they are bedrocks. And when Jesus was being baptised, before he'd done anything at the start of his ministry, he'd just been um, a 
carpenter and uh, just a regular man. And at his baptism, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And that voice, we see that reiterated. We see that the transfiguration. This is my son. I'm pleased with him. Listen to him. And, and that sense that for Jesus, knowing that the Father loved him, was pleased with him, before he'd begun his ministry, before he'd done anything, before he'd done miracles, the Father is for me and he's pleased with me, was the bedrock of his ministry. So it meant that for Jesus, actually, I'm doing this with the Father. I only do what I see the Father doing. You know, the Father tells me, stuff you know and and it meant that for Jesus very undeflected not intimidated not seeking his own self-worth when he was despised or mocked him he's crazy he's uh you know he's out of his mind or he's he's demonized or you know or or cozied up to oh we want to make you king Jesus Jesus is so in undeflected he's so secure because he knows who he is he knows who his father is he knows that he's loved do you remember when he's at Lazarus' graveside? He's praying and praying. He says, Father, I know that you hear me. I'm only praying this so that other people will get the benefit because I know that you always hear me. What a wonderful relationship with the Father. And, and the Father that Jesus taught us to pray to and call Abba, Daddy, is, is a new revelation because before Jesus, human beings have been relating to the invisible God to the one who is transcendent and, and whose image is glorious. And when we see God in the heavens and in creation and in the storms and in the wonder of life, of course, um, he can inspire our worship and our devotion. But it's harder for us to be drawn into intimacy with a God like that because it feels we feel too little. He feels too big. He feels too remote for ordinary men and women like us. We have to approach him through religion and through sacrifices and through temple and through transcendence. But Jesus tells us, actually, he's like the, 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 the father who you can call Abba, Daddy, to. He's the one that you can run to. And, um, and the stories that Jesus tells about the father are like the father who wants to give his children good gifts, who's not going to give them a, a, a horrible thing if they ask for a fish who's like the father in the prodigal son story, who comes and runs to meet their child when he makes their way home in disgrace and throws his arms around them. This is the father. And so the, the way that the God is described as the New Testament progresses, and as Paul writes to us, is this is the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This father that you have is the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you've seen something of the father's heart in Jesus because he's revealed the father. And now we've seen God with skin on. Now we've seen what, what fathering looks like. Now we've seen someone who is merciful, who provides, who is wise, who challenges and supports, who releases and blesses and sends, who does all the things that good fathering does, who, who helps shape our identity so that we know who we are, that we're called and adopted as children of God. That's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who does that. We've seen it in Jesus. And he's at work now in our life by his spirit. And so as Romans 8 says, when we cry out by the spirit, Abba, Father, the spirit of God testifies that we are children of God. This is what we read in Galatians chapter 4. And I'm going to read to you Galatians 4, 1 to 6. 
I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a safe. Though he's the owner of everything, but he's under guidance and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then an heir through God. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. In other words, just like a newborn child cries, expecting to be fed and comforted, so the spirit of God in our hearts cries out to Abba, to our God, expecting to be loved by the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is right, that our feeding cells that come alive, because the spirit has woken something up in us, allow us to pray to God. For, for many people, I think the assurance that they are really children of God is so contingent on the experience of the Holy Spirit, actually. I think, um, you know, there's... You know, we can we can we can pray a prayer of commitment. We can pray because we're afraid of an eternity without God. But we can really know we're children of God when the Spirit of God is in our hearts. And I guess that's my experience. It's the Holy Spirit that cries out from deep within, "My Father." And and that's that's how I I trade under that. This is how, who I, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of my Father in heaven. And um, the the picture that 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 Paul gives us in this passage is a picture of, of Roman society where children are nothing really. Their status is really low until they come into their own, until they, they reach maturity. And then when, when they'll just be treated like servants, they're now lords. And, um, and it could be, as Paul says, you know, there was a time when we were like un, under slavery to all the kind of impulses and drives and pressures of a fallen, broken world. But now we can know that because Jesus died for us, that we can come into our, our status, our inheritance as children of God. This is who we are. And John reiterates that in, in uh, 1 John chapter 3 when he says, see what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us, it didn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So, it's really good news. But accessing that good news is complicated by our experience of the family of birth because the hard wiring that I experienced, the hard wiring of unconditional love and acceptance may not be the majority experience, I don't know. But for many people, the, the experience of the family of origin is one which is much more broken than that. And which can set in some hard wiring towards rejection or towards depression or towards perfectionism or to, towards a whole raft of behaviours that actually erode our freedom and our well-being and our human thriving. Is it possible if you've had a bad start to life if you've, or if family has not been functional to you that you can become all that you were meant to be when, when in God's original design, if you like, God's grand design, that, that you should be known and loved from the word go. And 
I think the answer is yes, it is possible. Part of the wholeness course, actually, is, which will be starting just the next week, is, 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 is about that. It's about how do we work through some of this stuff? How do we work through some of the woundedness of life that stops us um, benefiting? And, and can the very wounds of life alert us to the fact that there's a God out there? You see, our feeling nature is meant to drive us to a place of appropriate comfort and help. But it can drive us to the wrong places. Ashley's story was, my feeling of deprivation and loss of father meant I was looking for it in the wrong places as a teenager. But when I was older, then it actually led me to pursue God. And I want to say to you, it's possible for our souls to find a completeness in Jesus. And I'm not saying it's easy or quick, and that there isn't a process around that, and sometimes a lapsing back and a turning back to that again. But I think it happens all the time. And that's what our wholeness course is about, actually. It's about how do I find my true identity as a child of God, as the Spirit of God ministers that with. It's not just a rational process, it's a supernatural process. It's a miraculous process that we're adopted as children of God. One of the people that I spend a lot of time with as a, as, you know, as a minister was a, a guy called Simon, who some of you will remember. And Simon was put into care as a four-year-old. I think he's, he's, he's been so physically abused in his home that he was hospitalized and then ended up in, in the care system. And um, dad was just not there emotionally or not there to protect. Mum was abusive and cruel. And, and for Simon, he was just a wild young man. You know, I, I met him as a glue-sniffing teenager, really, and, you know, someone who would self-harm regularly, um, someone who would just abuse his body, someone who would look for um, care in all the wrong places. But as a, as a young, young man, Simon came to know God and gave his life to Jesus, and God was his father. And that doesn't mean to say that he was completely whole, <laughs> by no means. Um, and it was a very checkered, up-and-down life with Simon. But, and, but many, many times I was able to pray with Simon, um, come back to the Father. When you've wandered away, come back to the Father. The Father is still here for you. You may have messed up so badly you think you've disqualified yourself from the Father's love, but no, the Father's here for you. And one of the remarkable things about Simon was that he knew that God was his Father and, and could come back to him. And, and actually, one, one of the roles that I had in Simon's life was I was a father figure. Not a brilliant father figure always, not, a, not someone that could replace the loss of human parenting, not someone who could demonstrate the love that the father of lights had, but nevertheless could be a representative of the father heart of God. And for some of you, today's message is about your coming to God and finding your wounds healed. But for some of you today, this message is about being a father or mother, a spiritual father or mother to others. Because from time to time, God allows a transference so that we can represent as spiritual parents, represent the invisible God to people who need to see God with skin on them. We're not Jesus and we're not perfect. But we can, by the grace of God, be channels for the love of the Father into people's lives. And that's part of what happens in prayer ministry, actually. That's what happens when, when someone in prayer ministry confesses their wound and, and you feel the compassion of God and can minister to it. It's what happens in prayer ministry when someone confesses the unthinkable thing that they've done and instead of being judged, they are 
showing mercy and forgiveness. That's, that, that happens all the time. And from time to time, sometimes God allows you to be a providential relationship for somebody who needs, for a season, you to be a picture to them of the Father who's always loved them and who one day they will see face to face. And, and, and Paul had that role, didn't he? He said, you haven't got many fathers, but I, I'm, I am that for you at the moment. And that's part of the uh, privilege and challenge of pastoring. And maybe we're all pastors to someone at some point. But, um, you know, and, <laughs> but today, I'm, I'm leaving you an old message, aren't I? A familiar message. God loves you, and you don't have to earn his love. God loves you, and your hard work is not going to make him love you more than he already does. But one message that, that I have for you today is that the very pain that you are, because sometimes you're a bit of a pain, or the pain that you're in is also a vehicle for the love of God. One of the things that is extraordinary about being a mother is that mothers just go through a lot to bear a child. <laughs> I mean, it is extraordinary what you put yourself through, ladies. <laughs> I mean, um, voluntarily, quite often. <laughs> Uh, it's kind of that, that sense of the physical pain of having a child, the, the emotional connection, the sense of, oh, I've, got to, I've got to look after this life uh, with a newborn. You know, the, the, the sleepless nights, the mess, the kind of the caring for them until they're in their late 30s. <laughs> you know, being there for them. It's incredibly costly. But the pain and the love go together, don't they? And the fact that you're, there's something about the bonding through childbearing that, that is, is extraordinarily powerful in a, in a, in where, where there's health and where, where things are working properly, you know, as they should. And, and, but that continues. And there's something about the pain that you have experienced. That is not a rival to you experiencing the love of God. Rather, that's the very thing to bring the Father and to know that he knows that. And the long-suffering God, the God who, who actually empathetically and physically is with you in your suffering, that should not alienate you from the love of God, the fact that you've suffered. Rather, it brings you to it. Ash was saying in her talk, part of me wanted justice and maybe that would deal with the wounds and the trauma that I suffered. Maybe that would sort it out. But at the end of all, it wasn't justice that sorted it out. It was mercy that sorted it out. It was encountering uh, the, the ability to forgive and be forgiven that sorted it out. And the love of God is here to, to draw near to us and to draw near to you. So I could talk for a long time on this subject, but I'm going to stop now. But I am going to pray. And, um, and maybe this has just triggered for some people um, a, a reality that you're not happy with right now as far as you and God and you and you are concerned. Or it maybe it's triggered a sense of call, maybe that I can give away what I've received from understanding that the, the very wounds in my life have led me to the Father and I, I can be pointing the way for other people to find that. So we're going to have communion a bit later on. That's a great time for ministry. But before we do that, I'd love to pray for people who feel that today they, they want to respond a little bit to this message. 
And if, if that is you at all, in any way, you think, actually, I need to know the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, in that way, then I just invite you to stand. I'm going to just pray from where I am and pray over your lives. Such a brave and vulnerable thing to do to to stand in that place as you are doing. And um, I think today of Hagar, who was fleeing an abusive relationship. And God spoke to her and said, I see you. And here's some stuff for you and your child. And I'm going to make your child not a an alien and a refugee, but a nation. And that was a glimpse even in the Old Testament of the mercy of God. And today in the New, God is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to pray that where in your lives there is that need for the Father's heart to touch you deeply. May you know the mercy of God resting in you and on you today. The God who wipes every tear from our eye. That's where we're heading. We're heading towards the God who wipes every tear from our eye. Holy Spirit, come now. Fill our hearts. Will you, Holy Spirit, comfort us? Will you, Holy Spirit, cry out, Abba, Father? God, Holy Spirit, will you wipe those tears from our eyes that we have? And show us your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.